Notice that we don't care to look deeper behind the story as to why certain songs are written. And if you're culturally challenged today, you just heard uh, Counting Stars, which was written by Ryan Tedder. He's a singer, he's a songwriter, he's a multi-instrumentalist, he's a record producer, and he's a member of the, the, the band called One Republic. Tedder was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was raised by an extended family of missionaries and pastors. His father was a musician. His mother was a teacher. And at the age of three, he actually began to uh, learn to play the piano. His parents, he, he says that his parents would coax him to play the piano by giving him candy corn. And so by the age of 12, he started to sing. And so he's taken on the music and now the singing. And then he said this, he said, I sang for two hours a day every day of my life until I was 18. That's almost like our own family. I hear, uh, you know, constant, there's constant music, constant singing on. And sometimes we as parents just go, well, you guys just shut up. <laughs> and uh, he continued to perform musically during his adolescence uh, in his church, and his school. He also formed a, a number of different bands. And uh, his family moved to Colorado Springs when he was in grade 12, going into grade 12. There he became friends with uh, Zach Filkinson. And they went on to form the band One Republic out of uh, Colorado Springs. And so Tedder, who describes himself as a professed Christian, in an interview with Billboard magazine, he says this. He goes, I felt a responsibility to actually write and sing. Next slide. There we go. I felt a responsibility to actually write and sing about things that have uh, a level of human gravity to them. If everybody else sings about sex, love, and lust, and money, then somebody's got to be singing about life and faith and hope and things of that nature. And he goes on and he says, I'd rather have a song that peaks at number 15 that's meaningful and embedded in the cultural framework we live in than a number one song that explodes for five seconds and becomes a dance hit of the summer and then goes away. And so the essence of the song that you actually just heard... Um, is that one needs to put their priority uh, back into thing, uh, things that matter. And those stars that he talks about, counting stars, represent actually the blessing of God in our lives, and that counting stars is much more important than counting money. And so he's asking the question, what is better, counting stars or co counting dollars? And, you know, to have uh, the money of men or to have the blessings of God, that's what your song is about. Go figure. Let's pray. God, I expect that you want to do something mighty in our midst, and I acknowledge that we hold your scripture in our hands most humbly and feebly. And we approach you with a great fear and respect because your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts. And God, as we study, I ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. Help us to see the connections that we are, and the fact that we are part of a story that's thousands of years old. And through that and, and, and through Jesus, your, your kingdom is made available to us. So as I said earlier, may everything thought, everything spoken, and everything felt be blessed by you. So last week, we had the family talk. If you missed it, and it's quite possible, because on average, people attend church in, at large uh, twice a month. So maybe you weren't here last week, and so I need to encourage you to go back and watch the podcast which is very important, and it also is a basis of where I want to step on today. Because last week what I did is I actually laid it out there where our finances were. There were a number of people who said to me after that, they said, uh, you know, I thought you were going to talk more about giving and tithing and take up that extra offering, and how much money came in after Sunday? I said, that was not my point. Um, I'd venture to say that some people are actually disappointed that I didn't take it further. 
And uh, go figure that. And yet my goal last week was to make you aware of what's going on in the financial life of the church and also to get you to do some introspection on where you're at in your next step with your journey with God. What is God asking you to do in your next step? And if you're a guest to our community, you know, we've strayed off our normal uh, walk and we've been studying what Jesus has been saying in the book of Matthew and um, we've strayed off just to deal with some housekeeping issues that I think I want to continue today as we continue just our family talk. Um, But I have to say this to our guests today. I actually believe that it's great that you're here so that you understand who we are as a church. And uh, hopefully that we can shatter some misconceptions regarding faith, church, and, and money. And uh, if, if today doesn't work, then I w- it really, if you still walk out of here and you're skeptical, my next step of encouragement to you is to go to our website, download our pod- podcast of last week, and watch. And then maybe you'll start to put all the pieces together, and then hopefully you can see where we're going. So... And again, I, I believe it's great that, that visitor guests are with us because uh, you need to know where we stand as a church community on the subject of money. And you know, it's funny because every time you mention money and finances, there's just like a dead pen goes right across the room. You know, you go from one republic and everybody's dancing to, oh, he said finances. And we start checking our phones. So last week I talked about how we don't take an offering here at Soul Sanctuary, but rather we have the joy baskets. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We have joy baskets. Yes, thank you. And uh, we looked at 2 Corinthians 9 as to, you listen, thank you. Uh, as to where the, you know, we, we looked at 2 Corinthians 9 as to where in the Bible we get this idea of the joy box from. And now there's this verse that says, and I talked about this verse, you know, that says thou shalt create a joy box and enforce it. But, you know, we know that's not true. We actually go to 2 Corinthians 9 and it's actually a very powerful teaching and it says this. It says, uh, whoever sows reapingly will uh, also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, that Greek word we learned is hilaron, where we get our word hilarious from. So if you think about it, God loves a hilarious giver. This is the picture that is being portrayed from Scripture. We learn that, you know, uh, that the Bible says you should give what you've decided And this is all from last week, but you should give what you've decided in your heart to give before you show up. It's a decision you make before you walk in. It says that the giving of your money is not just an intellectual exercise where you give, you know, money to get God off your back. God says if you are giving under reluctance or any type of compulsion, well then don't give. And we often say to our visitors, don't give. We're not asking you to give. That's why we don't pass the plate. But if this is your home, then you need to start rethinking on how you approach worship and giving when you come here. Um, See, because God loves those who give because they love to and they want to. And that's what scripture is saying. So this is why we have our joy boxes in the back. And this is where they greet you when you walk in. And so if you give what you want, it brings you nothing but joy. And then that's between you and God. And so I want to encourage you just to go for it. What's your next step? I closed last week on how our spiritual life is a journey, and throughout the scripture, the journey is a constant uh, metaphor. Metaphor for faith is journey, and it implies movement. It implies going forward, and so scripture is filled with growth metaphors, metaphors on change, metaphors on transformation, and so faith is people on a journey. Faith is us taking that next step. 
And, um, uh, and a journey is a series of steps. Again, like I said, we're all on a journey. We're all at different places along the path. We talked about how Jesus meets a young man in Luke 18, and he's right at his place in his journey in that step. And Jesus called this man to the next step in his spiritual journey. What was it? Jesus invites him to take that next step and go to the next side, please. And he says, go and sell everything you have. That was the next step for Jesus and this guy. And uh, he takes us all where we're at. He invites all of us where we are into the next step. He doesn't ask us to do a long jump, but rather he says, what's your next step? And so maybe for your, you know, your first time here today, great. Maybe you, know, you thought you were going to get stru- you know, knocked over dead by just walking through Uh, the doors here and coming to church because that's just a foreign thing for you. But you know, that was your next step and I'm thrilled for you on that. Uh, Maybe for some of you, you're ready to acknowledge that there might be a God. Maybe you're agnostic by nature. Look at that's your next step. Um, uh, We're all on this path. So let's celebrate together that we can move together forward at any time. And I think this is God's redemptive work in action in all of us. It's, it's our faith in action. Where are you in your next step with God? God meets us where we're at, and he invites us along the road in this journey. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all nailed down. You can be really, really screwed up, and God meets you where you're at, and he loves you exactly as you are, and he says, come on, what's the next step? And he walks alongside us. So, Let's just focus on the next step. And this is how God works with us in, in this story of the scriptures. Baby steps. And he meets people and he invites them, like I said, and, and he's doing that right now with each and every one of us. He is speaking to our spirits. He invites us to the next step. What's your next step? Think about it. I can't say it enough. What is God speaking to your heart? Are you open enough? Are you, are you listening to him? Or are you just thinking about getting out of here? Getting to lunch, getting to dinner, getting to the barbecue, cutting the grass. Or are you taking the time in the moment of a gathering and saying, God, what are you speaking to me? Because I think, for to all be honest, we want to know what God is saying to us. So let's take that time. Now we have all kinds of people in our community that we call soul. All kinds of people who are committed to soul, who give, who give freely, who give joyfully. We have people who give with their time, with their talents, obviously with their treasures. We have a number of people who are committed financially to this local church, and they give. And the biggest question is, why give? And here's an here's a interesting facet. So I did some calling. I've been talking to other pastors. And I have to, uh, I said this to one of our leaders. I said, I have to confess because I actually got great relief and celebration in hearing that our church isn't the only church that's struggling with giving. There's another church in our community, $120,000 down year to date. Like I said last week, we were 60000 down year to date. There's another church down. And then one other pastor says, yeah, I've been finding out that it's just going across. And so we're going, well, what's the problem? Because everything seems normal, if not good. But why is it so different from last year compared to this year? Are we going through a recession? Like, what's going on? And, and nobody seems to have the answers. The beauty of it for me was I felt at first we were alone in this. And now we see it's not so much. And so the question is, is, you know, when you come to a church, the question we all have to ask is, like, why do we give? Why give? Why, why give? And the fact that the answer is the Bible asks us to give our first and our best back to God. And when we do so, he'll bless it. 
We return basically 10% of what he's given us because it belongs to him. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. It's the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Matthew 20, uh, 6, 24 says that, you know, the top competitor for our commitment to Christ is money. And we'll be addressing this in a little bit of time. And so what I wanted to do is I thought, okay, let's go over to the book of the Old Testament. Let's look at the book of Malachi. Um, and, of course, some of you are sitting there because you've been conditioned by the church culture to think, oh, great, he's going to be talking about Malachi 3.12 and the tithe. Well, now some of you are excited about where I'm going today, and some of you are absolutely dreading it, and that's wonderful. Where are you on the path? Now, let me explain something to you because it's my job, and the steering committee elects me to do this every Sunday. Malachi is a very interesting book because when you take a look at the complete book of Malachi and not just one passage of scripture, you take a look at the complete book of Malachi, God is having a family talk. He's having a talk with his children of Israel. And the prophet Malachi had to deal with the people who were wondering why God was not doing something, and it's interesting, to correct the sins and the corruption in the land in which they found themselves. So they were not in a good place as in, in, in Israel. Israel is in a bad place, actually, on many levels. And the, the only answer that the people could come up with was that God was not just. Uh, that he was unwilling to judge sin, and he's just letting everything go, go wild. And so Malachi opens, if you go to your Bibles and you look at it, it, it and it's the last book of the Old Testament. And uh, it opens uh, with a short exchange between the people and the prophet. And he's acting as the voice of God. And there were these people who've come to the conclusion that people who did wicked stuff were actually good in the eyes of the Lord and that he was pleased with them because it appeared that they were prospering. And so they concluded that since God is a righteous God, he should have done something to judge the sinners, but since he's not judging these sinners, he's thereby approving their behavior. And so their cry out was, where is this God of justice? And they're upset. You know, God's not doing anything about the sin in the land. He's letting things go. People are ripping us off. This is what's going on. And they're, they're complaining. They're, they're getting mad. And Malachi told his people immediately that uh, uh, their challenges and their questions were tiring God. He was tired of their endless arguments and challenges. He, God was fed up, as it were, with these people. And they didn't think that they would wearied God, that they made him tired, but they had. And so chapters 1 and 2 of Malachi, uh, you, you have Malachi speaking on behalf of God. He calls his kids to a family minister, uh, meeting, and God says, I love you. Now, how many family meetings have we started when, you know, you know, when God says, I love you, or when the parents call the family meeting together and they start off by going, I love you, you know something's coming down. <laughs> Let's just call it all together. I love you, man. Uh-oh, dad's going to kill us. That's basically what we're thinking. So that's what God says. He says, I love you. And then the people said, how have you loved us? And God begins to count the ways. But then God addresses another issue in the family, in the, in the family talk. He says, look, you show contempt for my name. And of course, the, the reply is, well, how have we shown contempt for your name? And then God goes on to answer their question. And he states that they were offering their the way they offered their sacrifices was brutal. They offered defiled food. They weren't following the prescribed conditions. Basically, what they were doing was a second-rate uh, worship experience. They were denigrating what was taking place in the temple. 
In chapter 2, then God goes on after these priests, and he begins to give them a stern warning to smarten up. And the reason why is because the priests themselves began to fall away from the faith, and they hadn't been true to God's teachings themselves. And, um, and, and add to that, they also had been unfaithful to their spouses. And it goes on to say here in this passage that God hates divorce, and he's talking to what was going on in the culture. And, and the fact of the matter is, people, if you're following with us, tracking with us in Matthew, we'll be addressing this in a few short weeks. But God's still not done with his family talk. And he says, you've made me tired with your words. And of course, the response is, well, how have we made you tired, right? And, and the response that God gives them is by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and is pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? And so God gets fed up. And he says to the nation, he says, I'm going to put you on trial. Can you imagine your own family talk going like that? You pull the kids together. I love you. Uh-oh, where are we going? And uh, Well, how have you loved us? And I'll say, I've given you food. I've put a roof over your head. I've given you gas money. I mean, you know, and you're going on, and you're taking it for granted. You don't clean up your room, James and Jesse. You don't, you know, you're not doing the yard, and we're, we're going on and on and on. I'm going to put you on trial, right? How many of us as parents have done that? This is great for uh, uh, baby dedication day, so... You know, that's just the way it is. It doesn't get any better. I just want you guys to know you're still, they're still your kids. You're still pulling them out. My mom still tucks in my shirt. So. so God's fed up. He says, I'm going to put you on trial. And then we pick up the discussion uh, in verse 6 in Malachi chapter 3. And the section of the message is on faith, the faithfulness of God. And it begins with a very firm doctrinal statement, which is interesting. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. God is the same yesterday, today, forever, which is a great thing. But the people of God should find this statement actually very comforting. Because in spite of their failures, if you think about it, God doesn't change. Because if he did, we would be consumed on the spot. Right? Like, holy barbecue Batman. Like, that's what's going to happen here. But he doesn't. The point is that God is faithful to the covenants that he makes. The, those who belong to him will not be judged like that. The, even if they prove to be unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. That's his nature. That's who he is. So God still wants to bless his people today as he did back then. But he, then he goes on here in Malachi and addresses the problem. He says, so you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors have turned away from my decrees, and um, next slide. Thank you. Ever since uh, the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Then he goes on, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Next slide. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent the pest from devouring your crops, the vines from your fields, uh, will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. So he says. So you have to ask the question, what's going on here? What's the problem? Why is this family talk happening? And, and, and again, this subject point in the family talk is God's trying to get the children of Israel. And he, again, 
addresses all these different issues. And here's another issue. And he says, look at you're robbing me. You know, look at the fridge is empty. There's no food in the house. You're, you're just taking everything for granted. And yet, when we have this picture of God, we need to understand that God is like a generous father to his kids. But his kids are ripping them off. How? God says it in tithes and offerings. And so God specifically brings up the topic of money with his kids. Now, if you've been in church circles for a while, you, you know that the Hebrew word for, for tithe is translated to, into the word tenth or ten percent. So God, God's talk here with his kids is he's saying, look, I'm going to give you everything. And I'm going to give you the land. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you resources. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you the ability to earn a living. But I want to remind you who owns it all. And I want you to return the first 10% of your income to me, to the tithe. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse is what he says. So, you know, here's my question. You don't have to show up your hands if you don't want to. But how many of you own a business? And my next question is, how many do you have business partners? Oh, no, no, it's just my own business. No, no, well, not really from God's perspective. Because according to scriptures, God sees himself as a partial owner in everything we all do. And he is that majority investor, to be honest. And maybe you're thinking that you don't see it that way. Well, according to Malachi, God sees it that way. As he says, look, at I gave you all the resources. I've given you the ability to think and work and administrate and hear how it's going to work. And our deal is that, um, uh, and this is God speaking, our deal is that I get 10% and you get 90%. Which, when you think about it from a business proposition, that's actually excellent for any business owner. So as you look throughout scripture, and you see God is a giver by definition, when we look throughout scripture, we see that he's generous, that's his nature. The tithe, the tenth, is a simply a, a, a portion of the income that we technically, in an act of obedience, return to our Father. What I find this interesting is that God makes this giving a percentage and not a number. It's 10%. It's not a number. It's 10%. And so why did God make the tithe 10%? becomes a a question because I believe it's simple math and I think because God knows all things um, it, it was helpful for me that he made it 10 percent because I'm a history and English major and uh, 10 percent is pretty easy for me to calculate and and add to that 10 percent is interesting because it's equal for everybody the, the number doesn't matter to God whether you make 3000 30000 or 300000 a year. God says give the first penny of every dime. That's basically what he's saying. And, and what many people forget is that tithing itself, it's, it's more than just giving. It's a step of obedience to God. And that's what the tithe is. This is what it's all about. It's all about obedience. And God says, I own all this. this. This part is mine. And if we understand that everything that we have is God's, and all he asks is that we give him a percentage back and take it, you know, to take it to his house. And in that act of worship, in that pre preparation of what we're planning to give, it's a constant reminder to us as to whose pocket it's from. And that's what 2 Corinthians 6 is talking about. Us being aware of our, where our blessings come from and giving it back to him. And maybe you're the most cynical, jaded, you know, all the church wants money. Yes! <laughs> yes! But if you haven't done your history, and especially don't compare us, please, to what's going down south of the border and different religious organizations there. 
The church wants money because the church wants to set people free. And God teaches us as that in the process as we learn to give. And I believe that there's not a greater organization, and, and Jesse said it, with more potential to change the world than the local church. And I personally believe, and again, based on my study of scripture, my personal convictions, that the tithe belongs to the local church, period. That's where the tithe goes to. And I believe with all my heart that Christians should be the most generous people on the planet and should be the first to financially support worthy causes. And that's what we do here. And that's where our money goes. Thank you. Joy basket. Okay, good. We're paying attention. The church is this organization that's been around for 2,000 years and is the only investment that will still continue on from today into eternity when we find ourselves with the Lord. And when the local church is working right, there's nothing more powerful, nothing more breathtaking, breathtaking in the world. And it's the place where lost people are found, found people go to love Jesus, addicts are set free, people who are excluded get included, homeless people find hope, marriages are restored, forgiveness is extended to other people, God gets the glory for it all, God meets us where we're at, God meets us in the next place when we're obedient. And so the tithe becomes a benchmark for our giving. And it's fair to all because it's not an amount, it's simply a proportion, and, and it's a place to start. So God the Father is a giver. He wants us to be generous as well. He's teaching this. He's trying to teach it in his discussion with uh, people in Malachi, but it's taught throughout all of Scripture. And it has to be noted that, you know, um, when God is teaching his children in Malachi, the, the economy was in a tank. Times are tough. People are cutting God out of their budget. And God says, hey, look it, you're robbing me. He tells them to bring the tithe to the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Why is there food in his house? So that food can be distributed. And that's the purpose of the local church. When you come in together, is that that money that comes in is that we can distribute what goes out. If you want facts and figures, watch last week's. And so the tithe is this benchmark. And so, the, you know, God's saying, let the temple do the work that it needs to do to take care of those in need. And so in his family talk then, God says something very truly revolutionary. He says this. He says, test me and see. So it's like mom and dad in a family talk going, oh yeah, you really? You really? You want to do it? You want to do this? Okay, go ahead, test. Go ahead, you do it. Right? God's doing the same thing. Test me. Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates. In other words, if we honor God first with our finances and we honor God with what uh, is his, your heavenly father actually promises to pour out blessings beyond what you can contain. You won't be counting dollars. You'll be counting stars. This is not a prosperity message. God says, I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven. I'm going to pour out blessing. Translation, he says, literally, I'm going to make it rain to you people. And the people are like, like literally? Because they were struggling with the things that they weren't going well on their farms. Their pests, there was drought. The things were bad. And God says, just start giving. Just start giving in, in that hard time and see what happens. Stop shortchanging me and watch what I can do. 
And it's an act of faith. And so Malachi calls for the people of God to test God's faithfulness. Give and see how God will take care of you is what he says. And this is not, like I said, it's not like the modern prosperity preachers in television who treat giving like a sure thing on the stock market. You know, the blessing of God may not mean that you're going to get back money with a tidy increase. You give me a hundred, I'll give you ten thousand. We're not saying that at all. People were to give by faith. People were to give out of gratitude. And it wasn't a way of manipulating God to get back more with interest. You with me? And so the tithe is, is, is not only a tenth, but the tithe is also a test. And God says in verse 10, he says, test me in this. A test reveals what you know. It re- test, if you university students, it's all wound up for you. It reveals your understanding. It reveals about what you believe to be true. And the Bible says that the tithe is actually a test of our heart. Do you really understand what the Bible teaches about money and giving? And do you actually believe in you, that in your heart of hearts? It's not I give to get more. It's, it is I give because God asks me and he's going to take care of the rest. And so every time you receive a paycheck, in essence, you face a tithing test. And the reality is that every Christian experience a tithe test when, is, is when we, we face it, when we get paid. And God says, I want to keep this really simple. Just, just give me 10% and to my house, and I'll bless you in a way you never thought possible. I'll honor God with your finances by, you know, you give 10% to the house, and, you, and that becomes your test, or do you keep it all for yourself? And so our attitude about money reveals our attitude about God, and Jesus says, you know, where your money is, your heart is also. And maybe some of you are sitting here today because we live in a different age from Malachi times. You go, you know, what are you talking about, Jerry? I have, um, you know, I've worked hard for my money. I've, I've earned the bonus. I've earned the promotion. You know, who worked hard in overtime? It wasn't the Holy Spirit, man. It was me, you know. Uh, I have it because I've worked for it. Really. Deuteronomy. You may say to yourself, My power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as to this day. So you may think that you have a result, you know, you're where you're at because of your own intelligence, but who gave you those talents and intelligence in the first place? Who gave you the brains to get into that school, to get to that degree? Who gave you the connection to a land or a new job or favor, you know, to land that promotion in the company? Who gave you the creative ability to do what you do? Scripture is very clear. And if you're fortunate enough to earn a living every day, that is, some, is it something that you sustain? Melka 3 says that while we're busy counting dollars, we should be looking up. We need to get our eyes off that and count the stars. We need to count the blessing in our lives that come from heaven. We do that all the time. What are the blessings? Like, oh, man. I don't want to say holy cow, but oh, man. What are our blessings? God says he'll open up the heavens and pour out our blessings. And most people believe that the blessings, you know, blessings come from the ground up, right? We're self-made people and, and it's, it, really, it's actually a type of myth. You know, from the sweat of my brow, I will work hard, real hard. I will make a harvest. You know, I'll do it. Yay. God says you got it backwards because if you read in James 1.17, it says that every good and perfect gift from above 
It comes down from the Father above. So blessings come top down from him to his children. And somewhere along the line, the children here in Malachi kind of lost sight of that. They started cutting God out of their business plan. The crops failed, the businesses dried up, and God says in Malachi 3, Hey, can you get your mind right? Can you turn it around and stop stealing and start giving again? return to me. Let's get this right. Let's get back on track. And so what happens is when you start tithing, it actually shatters our pride and it restores God to his rightful place in our life. Now some of you are thinking, Jerry, you don't know my situation. You don't know my life. I'm a single parent. I just lost my job. I can't pay for the food or rent bills. I, I can't give anything because I have huge debts and you're asking me to give 10%. Are, uh, you know, are you out of your mind? And to which I will say... What's the next step for you? Maybe that next step for you is not 10%, but rather it's us, Soul Sanctuary, helping you get connected with our Good Sense team to figure out how you can make a better go for it in life. Maybe you need that next step is to figure out how to pay your bills. So we want to be able to meet you where you're at. We don't want to burden you with 10%. You know, We don't want to burden you with anything, but rather as a community, we want to gather around you. We're willing to help you to try to figure out how to make it so you can get your bills paid off, get out of debt, and get by okay. Or maybe you have a huge credit card debt, and you're thinking, 10%, you don't know the debt I'm carrying around. Well, then what are you doing to get out of that debt? How can we figure that out for you? And then maybe the next step isn't 10%. Maybe it's helping you in that process. It's baby steps, right? Does this, does this make sense? Like, you shouldn't be feeling guilty here today at all. I'm just putting it on the table as it is. And God meets us where we're at. And simply, God invites us to the next step. Maybe you're giving 10%. And you go, oh, well, this life lesson doesn't apply to me. Okay, what about 11? What about 12? Oh, what do you mean? Well, baby steps, right? Uh, And again, it's not law. It's not just 10%. I'll explain that in just a second. You know, if we could get all of our giving, let's say if all of our people are giving 10, moved up to 11 or 12%, there's a whole other organization that we can sponsor to make a difference in our world. I want to call two people up. And it's interesting because from our talk last week and from our history... Um, they get in my face. And it's always a pleasure to welcome uh, Dave Wall and Kevin Penner. Will you give them a hand? <laughs> somebody, somebody, come on up here. Somebody just texted me that I need to, no, up here, uh, that I, I should be blaming Trump um, for our economy. I'm thinking about that. Um, anyway, I, uh, I want you to share with all of us. Just, uh, I, I was told by somebody that was sitting with you last week that you were really enjoying the sermon, which, you know, it's kind of twisted and sick. Life lesson you mean, Oh, right? yes, yeah. that, that yeah. too. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I needed to talk to you, and I needed to know where your head was. And I just, we have had a conversation, and I would like you to just share what was on your heart and where you're at with everybody here. So, uh, for me, it's not a super fancy story or anything like that, just more common sense, I guess. Uh, but uh, I don't know if any of you have ever had that moment where you're kind of struggling with life. Uh, for me, it was work. And uh, you think that maybe the next best idea is to go for coffee with Jerry. <laughs> that would be a mistake. I'm not sure I like where this is going. <laughs> so, so I decided to take that step. 
And uh, for me, just, I, don't, I won't go into too much detail, but I was just struggling with work. I didn't want to be where I was anymore. And for those of you who know what I do for a living, I actually have a pretty great job. Uh, so it was kind of just messed up altogether. So Jerry and I went out for coffee and uh, I kind of just laid him what was on my heart and kind of wanted to know what, kind of what he thought of that and, and, and where I could go with that. And uh, long story short, it was, no, don't go. Based on everything you're telling me, you're in a good place. You just need to kind of figure things out for yourself and, you know, uh, pray about it, yada, yada, all that stuff. And so, <laughs> great. <laughs> so I get home to my wife and she's like, so how did it go? I'm like, well, <laughs> looks like I'm staying where I am. <laughs> So, uh, but uh, I, got I didn't it. tell you to stay. <laughs> you did not. You did not. You, you, uh, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. What, we, what we decided, we just looked at the pros and cons. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's uh, absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, so interestingly enough, uh, over the next little while, I kind of started to look at, well, look at, or maybe people were pointing out to me things in my life. And, and an interesting one came up, like, again, that came to my attention was, was the giving. And uh, for me, I, I was... And, and Jerry and I have actually had some spirited conversations about the whole uh, direct deposit versus the cheerful giver and putting the money in every week, and that's what I was doing. And uh, I had been tithing on an amount that I had kind of established was fair for what I made, uh, and I was giving it that same amount, I just wasn't doing it every month. And so at the end of the year, when my what, sorry, can I call it my statement? What comes sure. from soul here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, look, I give that. But then it's like, oh, I missed that month and I missed that month and I missed that month. And, you know, interestingly enough, life carried on. God kept providing for us, but I wasn't doing my end. And uh, so I don't know what, I was just like, hey, I need, I, my paycheck goes into my account every month. Why don't I try the direct deposit thing? And let's just roll with it. So I didn't change anything at that just make that clear. I did not change anything in my amount that I had decided I was giving, that I just wasn't giving every month. And so the first year, it was slightly, like this is two years now, so the first year it was slightly a little bit more. And then, and then some of the further parts of our conversation came into play with some, some things that started to happen in my life. And I, one of my biggest stumbling blocks was kind of my leader at the time. And, and lo and behold, out of the blue, I get a new leader at work. And, and then... Financially things, I won't go into much details, but financially things got quite a bit better. And uh, so then I just kind of started looking at it. those things would come and I'd be like, okay, well, I better, I better just go talk to Allison and, you know, get it changed and go up a little bit more. And so through a year and a half, now this year I get my statement and I'm almost double what I was when we started two years ago. And my, my salary has not changed that much in the last two years, but it was just more. It was baby steps. It was just baby steps it yeah. was, or just common sense as you would call it, right? So that that's kind of where my uh, that's kind of where it came for me, and I, I honestly I joke with you all the time about how large my rearview mirror is, and I need to rip it down one of these days and think about how long, how much longer I could have been doing a lot better. But that's that's, that's you, that's me. So yeah. again, it was just for you looking at stuff and doing the baby steps. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Dave. Yes. Thank you. Jerry keeps bugging me, so I have a lot of stories to tell, so, <laughs> and some about him. So it all goes back when I was 16 years old. I read Malachi, and I said, I will put the Lord to the test. It sounds pretty good, because he promised me I will pour out a blessing so great that I wouldn't have enough room to take it all in. This guy, man. So you were 16. I was 16. Not 60. 
16. 16. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So 16. these guys should be listening here. Yes. Because <laughs> it was a mindset. It was an attitude. They said, okay, I made 500 bucks hoeing sugar beets. It really ages me here. And I made 500 bucks. I'll give 50 bucks. And that, that's how I started. And, and I was 16. So by the time I was 18 or 19, I had a job in the early 70s making 24, 25,000 a year being a milkman. Oh, the money, you, the power of that money those days. But, you know, I was, you know, my dad, you know, I, I bought a Monte Carlo. Oh, 75 Monte Carlo, paid for it in one year. But the blessing, blessing of that one was, was there was a certain girl called Denise, saw me <laughs> in that Monte Carlo. She said, that's a guy I want. <laughs> so out of that blessing came Denise. We're talking money, not sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, God has a, he, he has a lot of humor. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it started to shape me, but it was a mindset. Now, at that time, uh, you know, I was working for somebody, I was not happy, so. I never wanted to start my own business, but God had different, different frame for me, so. He moved me to Brandon, and we moved our whole family, just two little girls, and we started a business. <laughs> All the things that you shouldn't do. But Brandon had a lot of stories. At that time, we were in a community that we did first tithe, second tithe, I haven't third tithe. So this community, we were very, very adamant about these tithes. And so, okay, the second tithe is a real interesting one. That's really for you, not for... It's a party tithe. It's party tithe. But no, actually, if we translate it into New Testament, it would be for education and spiritual renewal or for your savings or f for future so anyway so we're, we're faithfully giving and because we're following the New Testament teachings at that time there was offerings on the holy days feast of the unleavened bread Pentecost trumpets atonement so then we would get, give offerings and top of that now that's a lot of giving and uh, where am I going with this one? There's two things that came out of the uh, offerings. We had a saying, you like this, Jerry, you gotta give until it hurts. Because if it doesn't hurt, then really you're not changing your lifestyle and God wants you to change and shape you through money. So you give more than, more than you really wanna give. And that's called an offering. That's above the tithes. So the third tithe, now we come to the third tithe. The third tithe was actually a uh, tithe for the poor and needy. So that was every three years. So, but translated, 3% of your income should go to the poor and needy. Now, sometimes when you help people, you don't get a tax receipt for that. But one thing I learned, and over those years, we met a guy who was not happy, and I saw somebody who gave a lot of money, and then he decided not to give anymore because he became bitter because he wasn't satisfied the way the money was spent. And I said, wow, I will never, I vowed myself, I will never become bitter. When I give that, it is to the Lord, and that money, you're responsible, not me. So there, and again, that's a mindset. If you get that mindset, you just give. So now, here we were in Brandon, and this was the 90s. Now we're in the 90s. Oh, I really aged myself. In the 90s, and prices of grain were low and I was in the agriculture business, prices of grain were low 
and I was, yeah, I was frustrated because the Lord said. <laughs> so I'm down on my knees, I'm saying, you know, what's going on here? And there's this voice, Kann Sie nicht Deutsch sprechen? He speaks in German? Yeah, he spoke to me in German. <laughs> Did and you I, know this? Sorry, check it uh, out. I understood that. <laughs> I understood it. And he says, you know Hutterites, you should go talk to the Hutterites. They got cash flow. And, uh, so, and so I started cultivating the relationship with the uh, Hutterites. As you know, mm -hmm. you went to one of my colonies. And, um, Your colony. My colony, <laughs> yeah. It no, was a good time. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Jerry, you didn't do the Hutterite um, very good, so I'll give you a little bit of a Hutterite. So I got this colony, they say, they're, uh, you know, I said, Dave, we're always going to deal with you, as long as you're around. Because I was trying to hand off my work to somebody else. No, we deal with Dave. We deal with you. <laughs> that's the Hutterites. That's the Hutterites. The loyalty. Yeah, that's, that's the loyalty. So the, the thing about that story is, it's not just the money that comes up. The, the blessings is all the relationships. The stars. You want to call them stars. I think of all the relationships of people who would come into my life and work things out. And the thing with the Hutterites too, you, you know, you could be strapped and everything, but God has an out for you. You know, he will make a way to provide even though you give more than you needed to give. So... So do you got any questions for him? No, well, I'm not done yet. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. not done yet. I got two no, more stories. Okay, he's got two more so, stories. Two more stories. I'm gonna go. Hang tight. Yeah, I tried to hang tight. I saw you winding down. Go ahead. No, no, I got two more stories. I'll fast forward. Uh, so we moved back to Brandon, or back to Winnipeg. And uh, I was in this men's group, and he jokingly called me. You know, he had the $500 a month guy. He was making $5,000. And he called me the $50,000 a month guy because of my attitude. and thought it made that much money a month, so humor. Yeah. Goes from 500 to 5,000, and then he gives you 50,000. Because whether you're making 50 or 500, be faithful in the little, and you will grow, and then he'll give you more. So sometimes, and I'll t finish off with the Cuba story. So a couple years ago, I'm in Cuba, and on a mission trip with WorldServe, and uh, we're in a small group meeting afterward, and we're a Spanish translator. And the, one of the pastor's uh, wives says, I've got a vision for you. Like, I want to tell you about a vision. And she says, the blessings for you are going to be big. Not just a little door, a big door. And a big door is like this big airplane. Open, you know, seeing these big airplanes and they <laughs> open this door and all the blessings just pour on you. That's what she saw for me. And I said, wow, I don't really know if I want that many <laughs> blessings because I, I have so many blessings already. But from that day forward, the blessings keep coming, but again, the people keep coming. So there was two or three other people came into my life from that day. And it's not just the money. And uh, hey, it's the stars. It, it changes your heart. The money is a, and a, God has such humor with money. <laughs> you know, I had a bet that you were going to cry. You didn't cry. No, I didn't cry because I, I went to the bathroom right at break time, and uh, I cried in the bathroom, and I cried in worship time. So I cried. Yeah. 
the, the worship music get, uh, got me crying at all because it said, give all I have just to know you. Yeah. That's what I, we want to know Jesus, right? Yeah. You made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys actually just met sort of today. Yeah. Anything that comes out of his story that? Well, I, for those people that know me, it just doesn't matter whom I'm around. I, I take something from everything, whether it, be the, whether it be meeting a new person or even what most people would consider the worst movie ever. I always take something away from it. So the first thing was to give till it hurts because I'll be completely open and honest. I don't know if I've really ever given till it hurts. And so that one of the things that I'll take away from this morning is that I'm nowhere near that. I, I have to clarify to everybody in the church right now, I'm nowhere near 10%. So just when you're hearing my story about how I grew my numbers, I'm nowhere where I, near where I need to be or want to be. Uh, the other baby one, steps. I, yeah, baby steps. Uh, the other story that I, that I wanted to share, and I'm glad that you talked about some missions in that, was the, uh, the, the, the students in the Jamaica trip mm-hmm. and how uh, my wife and I had been talking about... Um, we need more space in our house, right? We need a bigger house. We need, you know, and we really were like, well, what do we do? You know, like, we just, this whole, that, there's, that, there's that adage, but we really, we have more than enough space, even though our house is small. And uh, so that week, that when I watched all those students up there and, and, and looking at that, and I, that, that was my answer to prayer. I, I looked at my wife on the way home, and I just said, well, how can we build a bigger house and do more and add to our mortgage? Then it'll just be that much longer before we can give, like, way more, right? It's not to say that I couldn't do that. I want to clarify. There's nothing wrong with getting more house. But to me, that was the answer to my prayer at that time was like, no, just be happy with what you have for now. If, you're, if you want to give, 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 then you need to get to me my goals to get my mortgage paid off so that we can feel a little bit more free with that. So. Two more thoughts. So while I'm in Cuba, um, this guy, in the, he owns a tire shop. And, the, and I asked the, the guy in Cuba, I said, do you know, like, do you know what, do you have food for next week? And he said, no. He did not know where he would put food on the table next week. And when we think of how much we have in this country, and then another blessing, by the way, two baby granddaughters. So blessings come. Uh, but they live in Africa, so now I have, uh, two weeks from now we're going to go to Rwanda. So when, when you go to like the kids went to Jamaica, you realize that people, like what we have in this, this society of how much we have here is just, it's mind-boggling. You go to Africa or Jamaica or Cuba and you find that these people, $5 a day is, I don't know, they make that. Yeah, they just, so when we, <laughs> when we give $5 a day or 10 bucks, it's just, it, you know, we have unbelievable blessings here. But we got to think of reaching out to, you know, feeding the people right down there. And the needy right here in Winnipeg as well. So. Exactly. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you Appreciate for your time. So what's your next step? You have to get out of debt. If that be it, then contact me uh, via email. If you don't feel comfortable talking to me, I'm not bent out of shape, couldn't care less. But contact the office. Contact Allison at info. Everything's held in confidentiality. She'll hook you up with Steve Beale and our Good Sense team. And uh, again, everything is done in highest confidentiality. Maybe you're here today, you go, oh, that just, uh, Jerry, that tithing, uh, that's, that's Old Testament long. Oh, it's no longer applicable today under grace. 
number of years ago, I shared a life lesson called uh, the, le the Least Popular Topic in the History of the Church. And it was all about tithing in the Old Testament. And when we did the math of what God required from the children of Israel, and the beauty of you is that Dave actually addressed a bit of it, is that the tithe was not just a simple 10%, but it was a series of tithes, as well as a series of offerings that ended up any, being anywhere from 33 to 40% of your gross income. That's what was set out in the Old Testament time. So 10% doesn't seem all that bad. Like I said, it's more of a, a benchmark. Um, uh, but in the New Testament, when you take a look at giving, the outlook is totally different. Everything in the New Testament belongs to God. And we give proportionately as a token of our acknowledgement of the truth as the Lord prospers. And it's not how much we should give. It's not how much. Listen to me carefully. But, we should, uh, and, and, uh, but how much we should keep and what we should do with it. I think our time, our possessions, our abilities, all part of the stewardships are all gifts from God. We live in light of the spirit of law. We don't live according to the letter of the law. So maybe you're here, you're giving, and, but you're not a regular in the habit of, of which I speak. And Kevin nailed it beautifully. Let me just say this first. It's, it's not what we want from you, it's what we want for you. The weather's getting nice, and to be honest, people, you know, like I said, tend, attend maybe twice a month now. Yeah, your plans are getting nice. Your, um, you know, your plans also include not showing up at Seoul on Sunday because you're at camp, taking a vacation, going to the lake. It's just the way it is, out at the park. We also know that for the next four months, as we've looked at our attendance, our attendance will be taking a bit of a drop. And if your attendance drops, you can at least do something about your giving. You know, um, and I know that when you go to your lake, you do take your wallet with you. But it's, it's interesting, on Sunday mornings when you come to Seoul, somehow you forget it, Right? Just saying, throwing it out there. Oh, you don't carry cash or you forgot your checkbook or, you know, your phone's about to die so you can't use our text to give feature. Well, um, or you'll say, well, I missed this week and I'll catch up next week. And the fact of the matter is we never catch up. I often hear people saying, well, I owe God. I'm going, no, you don't owe God nothing. You just need to understand it's his. And so the solution maybe for you is we've established uh, a recurring giving system. So on your seats, every second seat has an automated debit process if you're not a part of that. Um, and what that does is it makes giving consistent for us even in the summer when business, so to speak, sort of goes down. In other words, people aren't here. Um, but our ministry is still functioning. We have our commitments that are still functioning. And what it does is it makes this consistent giving all the way through the summer. And the summer. So you can, use all, you can go online, you can use your credit card, you can use text to give. Um, you can use your credit card, debit card, even at the welcome desk if you want. Uh, if you said, well, you know, I really enjoy the benefits of my credit card. This drives me crazy, but I have to say it. And you want to pay via credit, and we can do a monthly credit installment as well. Allison can hook all that up. And I just need to say this, people, I don't know who gives. All right? I don't know, I don't want to know. And the reason why we have decided that we don't want to know is because I never want anybody to come up to me, sit in my office, and pull a power trip and say, well, you know, unless you can do something for this, and I'm going to stop my giving. To which, if I don't know how much you give, we can't have that conversation. And it frees me up to pastor this church. And so here's where I want to go today. I want to make you an offer that you can't refuse. And it's not an infomercial per se, but what I want to do is invite those of you to participate in something that have, maybe you've never thought about regular giving or tithing at the church. 
That's who I'm talking to right now. I'm calling it the 90-day challenge. That's the other piece of paper. So you have the automatic giving, you have the 90-day challenge. And it's this challenge that if you've never done this before, this is what I'm asking you to do is put God to the test. And the reason is, is because then it's risk-free. You test God and you will see if, if he will prove himself faithful to you in your finances. And so as you consider this tithe challenge, um, and maybe you're not regular and you're donating, I want to give you the opportunity to participate in this. And in my opinion, it will actually develop a healthy pattern in your life, but it will also help us to meet all of our financial obligations too. Again, our job is to funnel the money out. Yes, we have some housekeeping-based bills to pay, but our job is to bless these missionaries and other commitments that we have put ourselves to. So the challenge is this. If you're going to sign up for the 90-day challenge, we are so committed that I want to give you a guarantee. You ready for this? Here's the guarantee. It's not an inf- There's no carving knives, nothing like that. But if you're willing to tithe, you've not, ever, never done this before, and, and you're not sure you're able to do it, if you're willing to tithe for the next 90 days, and God is not faithful, we as a church will turn around after the 90 days, you notify us, no strings attached, you say this tithe thing ain't working, we'll give you your money back 100%. Right? I'm hearing crickets. I just, just so that we're, we're clear here. After 90 days, if God hasn't been faithful, if you can test, test them, and all you have to do, like I said, is no questions asked. You say, look, this isn't working. We'll give it back. Because you're encouraged, according to Scripture, to test God with your finances. There's no other in the verse in the Bible where God says, test me. And so maybe you haven't given for months, weeks, or years. God is not legalistic. Honestly, people, Dave, it's like what Dave was saying. He's after your heart. So what's the next step? And it seems like a sacrifice at first, you know. But 90% with God's blessings goes a whole lot further than if we keep it 100% to ourselves. And giving back to God allows us to demonstrate that he's more important uh, to us than material things. It's all simple. So if you're interested, this is how it goes today. And if the band can come up here, we're almost done. Just fill out the cart, drop it in the joy basket. Um, if, if, you're, if you're looking at that cart and it's making you shiver and you just go, I can't, I, can't, I can't do this, then write good sense on the back of it and drop it in the joy basket on your way up. Um, by doing so, I'll just say this, you're not signing up for anything. Okay, this is the first step. So what we will do is this. We will then email you with all the details. The rest is going to be up to you. I give to this church. The leaders of this church give to this church. We like to think that on the very minimum 10% goes to missions first here. And so we practice what we believe. I remember when we, we, we were in Min Lee's house and we had extra money. And there's an 80-20 principle in in, uh, charitable status, in case you didn't know this. In other words, 80% of your profit needs to go out. You can only keep no more than a minimum of 20%. And I remember sitting in Min Lee's room, and we had this extra money at the end of the year. Remember this? And we were talking about, well, do we take... Do we take all this money and designate it, this extra money, at the end of the year and put it in our building fund? Because we needed a building fund because we were wandering like the children of Israel. And so do we do that or do we take, if it's 80-20, we'll take the 20, put it in our building fund. And then with the 80% that was left over, we gave away to missions. That's the heartbeat of this church.
We're understaffed. We're underpaid. And we give our money away. That's the heartbeat of the church. So if you want to know where the money goes, that's where it goes. And so we'll email you the details. The rest is up to you. And uh, we practice what we believe. That every number is a name. And every name is a changed life. It's that simple. So, I simply ask you to be generous as our Father is generous. And our part is asking God to bless you and your family in a special way. And that's what you're going to talk over lunch today about. So enjoy ripping the pastor. Shredding the pork. (laughs) Stand with me. Father God, as we awake each day and the sun begins to rise and it's so beautiful and we love the heat and the weather, thank you, God. Thank you. Uh, As we look outside and we're facing another day, we thank you for the life that we've been given. We thank you for the people that we love so much and that love us in return. And we thank you for the breath and health and jobs and careers. The riches of this life could never pass what we've been given with our families and and our friends by our side. But thank you for the life that we've been given. And now it's up to us to... Uh, use our full potential each day. And Father, it's really not about us as much as we'd like to think the sun rises and sets because we exist, but we work for others. Not because it makes us feel good about ourselves, but because it's what you said to do. So God, your hand has blessed us again and again. And in this nation of ours, we have gifts beyond our understanding. And at the same time, many of us have debt that's just over our heads. So God, thank you for the gifts that you've blessed us with. And for some of us, we are able to return the blessing by giving back, even if it's just a baby step. For those who feel weighed down by debt, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the courage and bring the people into the lives that will help them work through the issues of debt and eventually see the light at the end of the tunnel so that they can be free of this debt that they carry. God, help us to be good stewards of what you entrust us with and to make us a giving people. And may we be faithful with our finances so that we can empower more people to do what is needed in this city and this world. That's my prayer. Amen. Can I not preach on giving next week? This kills me. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands on blessings. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. As you go, Good be on you, a gift from heaven. Wisdom be on you, a gift from heaven. Restraint be on you, a gift from heaven. The giver be on you, a gift from heaven. Jesus be on you, a gift from heaven. And may the Holy Spirit be on you, a gift from heaven. Oh, I hope to see you next week. I promise not to preach on money unless the Bible tells me to. Amen. We'll see you next week, people. Be blessed.